0: You are listening to the Therefore a Geek podcast, episode 97. Hi, everybody, and welcome to Therefore a Geek. I'm Andrew. I'm Tracy. And I'm Shamu. That's right. Dude went to the last showing of Shamu at SeaWorld. I thought
1: Shamu was in
2: Florida. So there's like
0: a a bunch of of
2: SeaWorlds and the San Diego one, which is like the first one the last day for their one ocean show, which was the killer whale show, uh, was today. Yeah. And so we went we went today to see the last the last show. It was, it was like three of them and we saw the first one because like the four thirty show
0: had a line going through the park to see right. it. Yep. Yeah. And to be honest, the first SeaWorld, the one in San Diego, is the one that actually had shamu. That yes. was their original oh. that was their original killer whale. Yeah,
1: was, I, I just i've been to the one in florida and they said it was shamu so maybe it's like shamu 2 or something no
0: it's know. just i mean like it's i think it's like it's one of those they names the
2: right just to call them it's all shamu
0: the shamu I show mean, yeah i always think it's like the simpsons with snowball 2 yeah all right <laughs> so today one right, although when
1: right. we went we were not allowed. my parents did not want to sit close enough to get splash which was a huge bummer
0: no neither did mine all right we so- did <laughs>
1: Well you're grown ups. You get to make those choices.
2: I loved it. This lady next to me had a beer. She's like, if I get wet, I'm gonna be pissed. And I like I'm sitting next to her going, just let you know you're probably gonna get pissed. It (laughs) says right there. Soak zone on the side of, like, the railings, like, so yeah. that's a hint. Yeah.
0: All right, today we're today we're going to be talking about a failed New Year's convention. We've got an update for Star Trek Axanar. The Star Wars Brain Trust is meeting for, talk about Carrie Fisher's and Princess Leia's future, and also dude's got a, a story about uh, the possibilities Dude. of a zombie apocalypse.
2: Zombies will kill us all.
0: And and then we're actually gonna we're gonna talk for a little bit about the uh, the movie going experience.
1: Yeah, (laughs) I have feelings.
0: All right, so let's start us off. Let's go to the the New Year's uh, convention here. So this was a a convention that was actually scheduled to basically run over New Year's Eve and have had a big you know New Year's Eve party and whatnot. It's called Winter Comet Comicet I C O M I K E T. (laughs) Oh no no I'm sorry, hang on.
2: When you can't read it, you just start spelling it. So. So someone else might get it for you.
0: Yeah, actually, I'm sorry. No, that's that's the name of a uh, of a a show in Asia that actually is successful. Or I'm sorry, another show. No, this one was called Marvelous Nerd Year. Marvelous Nerds Year Eve. I I am having a hard time here, folks. (laughs) (laughs)
2: Off to a good start. Well,
0: no, much like this convention, I'm having a difficult time. There we go. So (laughs) this is
2: I love it. Marvelous Nerd Years Eve with Stan Lee.
0: Right. So, basically, they're, this is a, a first-year show that booked about 40 A-list celebrities, and really, I think the short answer looks like it just it overextended themselves significantly. Mm-hmm. Uh, convention organizers expected 8,000 guests to break even, but they only had 4,000. And
1: terrible. this was in Dallas, so at least it wasn't in a cold area.
0: No, that's very true. But I think this goes to kind of a larger point that we've talked about, I mean, aside from just convention management which there have been slowly creeping out convention management stories over the last number of years but i think i'm or i'm starting to wonder if the the industry is becoming oversaturated with these kind of pop culture events Mm -hmm. i've
2: wondered this myself i tried to quantify it like early last year the problem is there's not much in the way of like public numbers especially for these kind of smaller conventions you can kind of find them for the big ones and for the big ones like the New York's, the Denver's, the Long Beaches, the Baltimore's, the ones like that, they all trend upward almost like, you know, unstoppably. Right. There's just a precipitous, unaltered trend
0: upward in terms of communist, their attendance. communist party five year plan style growth. Yeah. Right. Like, just,
2: you know, how do you do it? I was like, just boom there. That's actually the best way to put it. How, how do but
0: you do it? Th- you, you report 5% growth every year. It doesn't matter if you oh, actually yeah. achieve it.
2: Yep. Right. Just, just like, just like in the books, it's like, yeah, despite cutbacks in production uh, ra- increases in rations of chocolate have uh, gone up 5%. So you've got, <laughs> yep. you've got stuff like that. And, but with these little ones, it's very hard to tell because the numbers aren't generally public knowledge. And we don't hear about the tiny ones that show up for
0: a year and then disappear. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's really Unless hard.
1: Unless they to... go oh. massively, massively.
0: Yeah, Tracy, you and I, we were actually talking about this extensively before the show, but Tracy, you and I followed for a while the disaster that was DashCon. It <laughs> started out
1: as TumblrCon, but they weren't allowed to use the name, so it became DashCon. Yeah. Oh, man. What a debacle. It was so fun. I am a person who truly enjoys drama that I am not a part of. I really dislike drama in my own personal life. But if you have any drama that you want to tell me about that I actually don't know any of the characters involved, I will thoroughly enjoy it. And I thoroughly enjoyed reading about this convention. It was a shit show.
0: Yeah, Dashcon, I mean, is characterized by just gross, almost criminal and intentional mismanagement. Yep. This convention seems to be just these folks grossly overextended themselves for a first year event. They were just super optimistic about what they were going to achieve and... They didn't come anywhere close to it. And I mean... There, there were some rough times for people. I mean, the hotel was threatening to kick people out or jack up the price on their hotel rooms. You know, a number of things like that. I think you know, it's one of those times you kind of hope that cooler heads would prevail a little bit. You know, as much as the hotel, you know, has every right to get their money and, and be upset if they're not, it's not the attendees' fault that the show is, is going shit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So the hotel kicking them out really isn't helping the situation. And in the end, they did not. They didn't end up doing that. Right. But th- there were a number of threats, including one at... 11:45 on new year's eve
1: yeah and that's just not good pr on the hotels part either so for one thing i would say i and i from what i read about this convention one of the big things was that not enough people booked rooms in the hotel block that had been reserved in order to get that special discounted price and in that particular case it's one thing if someone hasn't paid their bill at all to consider you know kicking them off the premises or whatever but to at the last second raise rates on people who have already booked their hotel rooms i think is also especially since you've already promised them that discounted rate or at least they they believe you have It just seems really like bad policy
2: someone's got to eat their ass on this and the hotel made sure it
0: wasn't them yeah <laughs> that's i mean yeah that, that's the end that's the okay end that's is, fair hey, someone's gonna eat it on this one and the other thing about this one, is it makes me really glad that you know our local show, Tidewater uh, Comic Con, has been very intentional about not growing too fast, especially yeah, after mm-hmm. after the, the first the the trial run when they had they they expected three hundred people and they had thirty eight hundred show up. Mm-hmm. You know, well, and done when...
1: properly, a convention show is endlessly scalable, but you have to know where on the scale you fall. You know, and I, know I about, think I our our showrunners scalable, have done a great job. Cer- well, certainly, and, I, I mean and, like. Okay. I mean, yeah. Through the size of San Diego, at least. I mean, that's massive.
0: Yeah, I think I think New York and San Diego, at least for a, for an American show, have set the the upper limit. San Diego's got more, more space. New York has more people.
2: And I would also add, like, look at Denver, like in three years, Denver went from like a 60,000 something attended convention to a hundred thousand in three years. I haven't been to Denver's convention, but like part of me wants to just see that because that's a, that's a huge change in such a short amount of time.
0: Yeah. so that sounds like a new, like a good up and comer here. Mm-hmm.
2: I do like looking through this news article that you sent me about this, this convention that, you know, even though the convention runners kind of ate it, like, some of the celebrities didn't get paid their full fee either. Yeah. and Which is also like, oh, that's... So, like, people were getting kicked in the nuts all the way around. Where's the one... I'm, I'm looking at the bulletin points. Oh, yeah, one fan says he paid $500 for Stan Lee's autograph as part of a package and stood in line to get it, only to have Stan's people remove him before the signing hours were over. Probably because... Uh, probably because of all the other drama the fan got a pre-signed autograph but no facetime would stand yeah, yeah. Now that's I mean, obviously sorry. that's obviously hearsay but that's like that reminds me of like the the neil degrasse tyson signing that andrew and i stood on for a while Oh god and there was that back in new york comic-con was oh, to say three years ago and there was that yeah, one was guy saying that there. The, the conventions yeah. like the the line is closed and then the
0: lines not closed and then it was closed it was like geez
1: and then we're, I... they moved the line for a little while and we were like does that what is that
0: <laughs> yeah yep. yeah well I, m- I remember having you and i had a conversation actually with so like new york comic-con there's like there's volunteers and then there's staff and the volunteer kept telling people that the lines open And then, like, we ran into a staff member, like, hey, look, you've got three volunteers right there telling people the line's open. Go fix it. And he's like, ah, shit, and runs and fixes it. He's like, thanks.
2: Like, it was funny. As, as like, the volunteer passes us and is saying it's open, and then you've got another person directly behind him saying it's closed. Like, only about two, three minutes apart from one another. Right. And we were like, you need to go run and get your boy and tell him to shut up.
0: Yeah. Hey, so how about Axonar? So this talk, is talk about getting talk about getting kicked in the nuts.
2: Yeah, this was so we talked about this a couple podcasts ago, and while I think we the consensus was Paramount should probably just leave this one alone. At the mm-hmm. same time, we came to the conclusion that legally speaking, they're probably screwed, even if yeah. they try fair use, which they tried to use. To get the court to dismiss the case uh, from Paramount suing uh, was Axenar Works as the name or Axenar Productions. Yeah. But it did not pan out well for Star Trek Axinar. So this is from the Hollywood Reporter Dateline, January fourth, twenty seventeen, and I'll just read a, uh, just a couple paragraphs from the meat of the article. On Wednesday, U.S. District court, District Court Judge R. Gary Klausner released the much anticipated opinion. Quote, with respect to the first core issue, the core finds that the Axanar works have objective substantial similarity to the Star Trek copyrighted works. End quote. Continuing, Klosner rules that the character of Garth—now, I'll pause here for a second. For those who don't remember, the whole Axanar movie was supposed to be based around this character named Garth of Izod, or Izor, a character from the original series who appeared on, like, one episode in 69— And they were going to explain in their version why Garth was Kirk's hero. And it was going to be played by the guy who runs Axanar Productions. His name is Alec Peters. Uh, Getting back to the article. Of Garth is entitled to a copyright protection as well-delineated physical and conceptual qualities and contrary to defendants' arguments isn't obscure he notes the appearance in axonar of klingons and vulcans as well as the use of other copyright elements like a klingon officer's uniform for the 1991 motion picture star trek 6 the undiscovered country he also points to the fan film including settings from star trek copyrighted works such as planets Axenar, chronos and vulcan quote under the extrinsic test the axonar works are substantially similar to the Star Trek copyright works, this conclusion finds strong support in defendant's intent for Axenar in works. Defendants expressly set out to create an authentic and independent Star Trek film that stayed true to the Star Trek canon down to excruciating details. End quote. But that doesn't end the dispute because under the second part of copyright analysis, the so-called intrinsic test that asks whether an ordinary res- reasonable person would find the total concept and feel of the works to be substantially similar. The judge finds that a jury will best answer this. Thus, he denies the summary judgment motion made by CBS and Paramount. So this is to say that it's going to court. It's The jury has if there's no settlement, a jury is going to decide on like the very, very last point. But for the most part, Axinar is like down three games to zero against Paramount. That also being said, they can't use the we had like that big discussion about fair use in the jury trial. They will not be allowed to use fair use as a defense. So they're kind of boned at this point
0: yeah it actually says later in the article the court thus finds that all four fair use factors weigh in favor of the plaintiffs right like that hurts
2: yeah Yeah. well but these
1: it's so similar i mean well we talked about this in the last podcast but yeah yeah they didn't really have a leg to stand on to begin with
2: no it was really tight like the only the best hope they had was the fair use argument to get the court to dismiss it before it went to trial, the way Viacom did with that South Park parody back in I mean, it was a couple of years ago, back in 2012 yeah. or t- mm-hmm. 2010, that didn't that didn't happen. So, and I think we all agreed that legally they looked like they were screwed in the first place. Yeah. So the only thing they had to bank on was the good graces of Paramount, and at this point, it does not appear that Paramount has any left.
0: Yeah. <laughs> well, the other the other thing I thought was interesting is that the judge judge goes on. The fact that the defendants distributed Prelude and the Vulcan scene for free online and intend to likewise distribute their future works may likely increase the risk the risk of market substitution as fans choose free content over paid features, which is also something we talked kind of heavily about.
2: We did, and that's that's my point is, oh, cry me a river, but nevertheless, that's how the legal system treats these things.
0: Yeah, I mean, it, it just, it'll, it'll be interesting, but yeah, I, I don't think, I think Axanar is pretty is well-boned pretty well, uh, pretty well boned here. Yeah, so what and- are, I, What
1: are they forced to do? I'm assuming they have to pull all their content on from, from the internet. I mean, are they forced to destroy it or can they just keep it privately? Like, do you guys know what the what the possible sentence handed down will be?
2: Well, basically, well, no, we don't know what the sentence will be, because, again, the, the final aspect of it goes to the to the jury. Now, Paramount wanted this fully dismissed. So the judge has basically said, no, you you're violating all these copyright rules, but a jury will decide your final verdict. And I don't know if Axenar Productions, which basically what did happen was they got their production was shut down. They had to stop. They were ordered mm-hmm. to stop by the courts because of a suit from Paramount. So this has been going on for years. I don't know if uh, if Alex Peters' Axenar Productions wants to put up with this kind of mess, and I would hope that they would have some way of amicably ending it, but in all likelihood, I think... Uh, my prediction would be that Axanar Productions would just say, okay, we'll stop. Stop suing us. Right? Yeah. It'll basically, yeah. basically now it appears that Paramount can dictate the terms to Axenar Productions.
1: And if nothing else, it's costing them a fortune, I'm sure, in attorney fees.
2: Oh, yeah. No, that, that's that's the thing, is I'm certain they've outstripped all the money they, they were raising for Kickstarter to make the movie. I'm, I'm certain they've dumped into legal. And they're... And, which is, again, a shame. I just... This is one of those fights that I you know Paramount obviously can win. I just don't think it we should even bother to win it. But
1: yeah, yeah, I agree with you. I absolutely agree with you. It's a red letter day.
2: So that being said, let's move on to so obviously, from, from, I think the last from, from Star oh, Trek to Star Wars from Star Trek to Star Wars. So Carrie Fisher passed away on december twenty seventh. And this is also according to The Hollywood Reporter, date line January 5th. Uh, Carrie Fisher's December 27th death had left a disturbance in the force. I'm sure that writer was just dying to put that in there. Uh, Her iconic Princess Leia is set to appear in the next two Star Wars films, and insiders tell The Hollywood Reporter that at least two key scenes are planned for episode 8, coming out December 15th, and episode 9, scheduled for 2019. A Leia reunion with Luke Skywalker played by Mark Hamill, and a confrontation with Kylo Ren, played by Adam Driver, her son who killed Harrison Ford's Han Solo in 2015's The Force Awakens. Details uh, of where those scenes fit into the movies remain unclear, but insiders say Leia was to have a bigger role in episode 9 than 8. Episode 8's director, Rain Johnson, has finished shooting, but episode 9 doesn't have a start date. Both Force Awakens and episode 8 began production at the beginning of a year, so it is very likely that episode 9 will begin shooting early 2018 for a December 2019 release. And the status of its scripts being written by Colin. Trevoro, or Trevoro uh, this is the same guy who did Jurassic Park, and Derek Connolly is unknown, as in Disney won't comment. Trevoro the filmmaker behind Jurassic World, who is directing Episode Nine, is due to arrive in L.A. the week of the 10th of January 10th for meetings with Lucasfilm's Kathleen Kennedy to discuss options. But unlike in other cases where actors died during filming processes, Paul Walker in Furious 7 comes to mind, it appears... That the team has time to explore solutions so what i found interesting and i feel like i should have known this already is that she's already shot her scenes for the upcoming Star Wars. Yes. Mm -hmm. So now it's, what are they going to do? And they've already started editing it. As of like August of 2016, Rain Johnson was posting on Twitter that he was editing the film. So this is just, I'm just curious to see, and the the article of course goes on to explore all sorts of different you know, are they going to CGI her in? Are they going to rewrite her scenes? Are they going to reshoot them entirely? Are they what? How are they going to handle her death? All that kind of stuff. It's you know, not not much just not much controversy here, but it is just a curious what what are we going to see upcoming in the Star Wars franchise now that Carrie Fisher has left us? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so They're it's,
1: definitely going to have to give her a smaller role, even if they do decide to put some CGI together. There's no way they can support a larger that, role for
0: her. Yeah, that much is clear. So it's funny we mentioned the CGI. I yep. was wrong. It was a face skin on the Tarkin on Tarkin. That was Yeah, a, it was an actor. Right. No, I was convinced it wasn't an actor because of how shitty they moved. I didn't think a real yep. person moved that awful. <laughs> it was like fucking Every Pinocchio. <laughs> no,
2: no, I, he's absolutely right. He moved like the marionette from, from like Team America. Or no, yeah, Team America. Like like he said that Anthony uh, Daniels' is a
0: C-3PO doesn't move that poorly. No,
2: and what I, I couldn't get over was like there was some guy on YouTube I saw a couple weeks ago. He made a YouTube video of how he thought the CGI of Tarkin and Princess Leia was magical. And I was like, what the hell is wrong with this guy? Does he not have eyeballs?
0: I mean, I'll be honest. I've talked to a lot of people who thought it was really cool. And I'm like, go go back and watch it again and unfuck yourself.
2: Yeah, or punch yourself in your own respective genitals. Like, just, <laughs>
0: I, I, don't, I don't care. I mean, just, you're just wrong on this
2: one. Yeah. They look terrible. And I just, please don't do this to Carrie Fisher after she's dead. I mean, like,
1: yeah, yeah. That's the more, other thing, right? Let's,
0: like, she, she's, just give her, her like, a. She, she's a, up she's and, in her she's little stuff. Prozac pill, leave her alone. Yeah, <laughs> that was
2: funny.
1: Which was cool. I That's thought fun. that was kind of sweet, actually, and I, yeah. very much her sense of humor. Th- that the was apparently
0: could... one of her prized possessions. I bet. <laughs>
2: I will be okay if they kill Princess Leia off in the first five minutes as Episode Nine, the way they killed off Christopher Lee in *Revenge of the Sith*, right? And then, and they can do it like she—you don't have to see her. She could be on her cruiser, sacrificing herself to stave mm-hmm. off disaster, and you could see yep. her in the holographic form that doesn't look that bad.
0: Star Killer and we, Base or from two.
1: behind with another body double. Star you Killer,
0: just, Star Killer Base Two. Yeah,
2: just make it go. Let <laughs> me just do that. Perf- don't
0: no give her a big role and
2: like splice her lines together from her other films and try and keep her in there or get a voice actor to fake carrie fisher voice and i just don't don't do that please don't the other fun news item we have a zombie outbreak could come close to wiping out humanity in a 100 days scientists reveal their tips for survival this is the daily mail
1: so this is like the direct opposite of what you said on our last podcast dude in which, which you like. claim that because so of... Social-
2: hashtag shoot him in the head. Yeah, no, so my, so basically their whole <laughs> thing was, yeah, hashtag aim for the head. But but researchers develop a complex new formula which calculates that 100 days into a zombie outbreak, just over 100 survivors will be left uninfected. And within six months, these survivors will also die or become zombies themselves. It goes on to say, where students at Leicester University are were basically were the guys who came up with this. And it predicts the rate at which infections spread... And die off as humans come into contact with one with another. The students claim that while their results are interesting, the data does not the data they use is not perfect. In their model, for instance, they did not account for humans killing zombies. Which is exactly the but hashtag. What's
0: going to
1: happen? Ha- oh my right. god.
2: We,
0: we, so I, we I have the Romero zombie films. Wait, we're, are these undergraduates
1: or are these grad students?
0: It just says students.
1: They're probably undergrads. We can I was... ignore this whole thing. <laughs>
2: <laughs> but it is funny because they give you six tips for surviving the zombie apocalypse from neuroscientists. And it's funny because we, we did talk about Max Brooks and all this stuff. One was don't fight, uh, keep quiet, distract them, don't try and reason, and mimic them. Kind of like they did in Shaun of the Dead. So obviously, like, obviously, like, bricks would come up with this one. So obviously, like, they have a very specific, like, version of zombies in their heads. Yeah. Yeah. You know, because there's all these different types of zombies. You got the fast ones that run and bite you, and in 10 seconds, you turn into a zombie, you bite someone else. In that scenario, I believe the world is over in about 20 minutes, right? That just, right? but in, like, the Romero scenario or the, the Max Brooks scenario where they like, kind of the slow zombies, assuming they don't rot, right? Assuming zombies can somehow bypass... Decay. The second law thermodynamic i'm i still believe with with the way we communicate hashtag aim for the head will we'll end a zombie well, apocalypse in about five hours
1: you also have the eye zombie type of zombie which is completely different where as long as they're getting brains regularly they're normal people with normal empathy and and so forth and they're not actually trying to make other zombies unless they're you know bad humans
0: i vote i vote for bad humans <laughs> bad humans <laughs> i mean you and i are both terrible people tracy's only about halfway but but, yeah. so you know, we're talking two two and a half out of three. Yeah. Yeah, you know, we're looking Although that's that's I'm like that's like eighty percent that's like eighty percent fucking buyer. asshole. <laughs>
2: which means we would definitely survive a zombie land style zombie apocalypse. Like I'm I'm certain I'm surviving that one, especially if I'm with Emma Stone.
0: That that in and of itself is reason to survive.
2: Yes, very much so. You would lose Tracy again? Yes. Cuz I just she's star- oh, <laughs> she stare. Oh, she was like her picture is like froze and she's staring at me like an angry teacher. I'm like, "What?" <laughs> I was I like, mean, was I it the mean, Emma Stone no, comment? No, you, was were, nice you were this time.
0: You were frozen on that one, but it was it was funny. If that...
2: we're all stuck
1: in a room and Emma Stone's there, she is mine, you guys.
2: Sorry.
0: <laughs> now I know who
2: to kill first. <laughs> so let's get into this.
0: Yeah. So movie going to, at least to the three of us, movie going is kind of a sacred thing. I mean, dude, you go to not as much last year, but in previous years you've gone to the movies more than most people go to church. Yes. And I mean certainly the, you know, movies for the American going public, like the, the experience has changed dramatically in the history of, of film. But I think just in the last few years, there has been a significant change. Oh, yeah. You know, so, so starting, you know, going back to like kind of the, the the golden ages, you know, that's the point at which that's how a lot of people would get things like news. So you'd go, you pay your money, you sit down, you'd see the newsreel, you'd see some cartoons, you'd see a short or two, and then you'd get two, maybe even three feature films. I and mean, this was a, yeah, whole, it was a whole evening. Yeah, it was a whole, a whole afternoon, evenings entertainment.
2: And it should be pointed out that back prior to Psycho in 1960, you could enter the movie theater at any point you wanted. So these were almost, I mean, basically what Andrews described was on a loop for over the course of the day. So if you came in, you'd catch, if you were watching, like usually it was a double feature. You maybe hit the beginning or middle of the second film. You'd finish it. You'd watch all the newsreels and shorts, the first half of the double feature, and then you'd get to the point where you picked up the story and go, "Okay, I can leave. I can leave now." That—that's how it was for a good long while.
0: And that's also the origin of the. A and and B movies. Right? A movies were your big titles, your you know, your main features. B movies were your second your secondary features, you your up-and-coming guys or your guys who are on the, the downward spiral your, your solid character actors. You know, so that's there's a lot of, of you know classic Hollywood built into that. You know, but as time has gone on, because it was psych you know, psycho changing that, you know, used to, you know, you then show up and you know prescripted times. And and the theater experience kind of kind of stagnated for a long time, you know. And you and there are different types of you know theaters. I'll, I'll let dude go into that a little bit more because you have more experience with some of those. But then in the last few years, I think because of the rising ticket price, theaters have begun to do things differently in order to get people in and make the movie going experience something people want. It, it's funny to me that people complain about ten dollar movie tickets. And they're perfectly fine buying five dollars worth of coffee. Mm-hmm. That that just well, kind of I blows have, my mind.
1: So I think they're just returning value for money to the whole concept as well. Because if I go and I sit in a tiny seat, squished up. So when I, the perfect example of this is when I went to see Inception. So I went to see Inception the Friday it came, it opened, and I ended up sitting in a in a row, and, and almost the the entire theater was sold out. And I ended up sitting down and then this Indian family sat next to me and they had not bought their tickets. They, were, they entered the theater after I did, and they I was sort of in the middle of a set of four, so they asked if I could move to the end so that they could all sit together, which I had no problem doing. I moved, and then I am squished between whoever was on my right, and then there was this family on my left, and the, the father was sitting directly next to me, and he belched throughout the <laughs> entire movie
0: repeatedly,
1: and it smelled horrible. Well, I'm not going to pay $14 for that ticket.
2: Was his belch but... in the style of the Inception horn? Was it like <laughs> It was <laughs> like
1: ev- it was it was a deep resonant
2: happens,
1: <laughs> Yeah, it was it was a pretty it, it that that particular oh movie going experience stands out to me as one of the one of the worst I've ever had. And now they've sort of get, well, at least the theaters that I've been in and they're all sort of taking this on as giving you more space, providing more options, allowing you to pick your seats. It's all, they're, they're trying to show you another type of value for the money that you're paying for the, you are, you are absolutely correct that ticket prices are rising. So, um, but I think they're trying to give you a, a return.
2: I really think it's, I'll go out on a limb and say, it might also be that the theaters are trying to get a return on their investment as well. So one of the theaters near where I live had just recently gone through renovations, and they swapped out all the seats. And they went from those traditional, like, fold up seats that you slid past to find yours, and you, you pulled them down, and you sat. And it was a theater that could fit maybe 100 people or so. And they put in these big recliners that electronically went backwards, and you had cup holders on either side. And cut the capacity of the theater in half, probably more than half, right? Yeah. But nevertheless, the ticket price stayed about the same. And this makes sense for the theater because their seats, they're just not filling up anymore. In large part because, for two reasons, people are not going to the theaters as much. And there's been reports on this that people used to go like they went to church, like the way I go to movie theaters. It's once a week or once every other week nowadays they're going only five or six times it's like going to the doctors if they only you know only if it's really really something they want to do they're going to go do it so now the theaters i think have to make that experience worth it because as you just described if you get that sticker shock of thirteen forty-nine nine nine, like they are where i live for some mm-hmm. reason that's how they come up and you you're sitting in these this crappy auditorium you're going why do I need to be here? Because now I can have a 60-foot, or 60-foot, 60 60-inch 60 plasma screen TV with Bose surround sound in my own home, and these movies are coming out on Netflix and Redbox within six weeks. Mm-hmm. So yep. give me a reason to go to the theaters now. We've tried this 3D. We've tried the IMAX 3D. tried now with these new comfy seats. We've got theaters that offer food and drinks and beer, all mm-hmm. So they're really just trying to make the experience different and unique because now the home quality experience has basically matched, if not in some cases surpassed, the theater going experience for many of these theaters. So they have to they have to play catch up. Yep. that's 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 the way it appears to me. And what's I find really fascinating if we go all the way back to the early 20th century, there was this kind of competition between two ideas of how human beings would enjoy film movies and it was edison's kind of nickelodeon where you it was one person looking down through the little visor and cranking the thing to watch the little slideshow of the horse or the lumiere brothers who thought it would be a theater experience the way you know opera and the symphony were were given to people and and for the most the, the 20th century, the Lumiere Brothers formula, won handily. Now, I'm not going to say we're going to snap backwards. Nevertheless, though, the Edison model has kind of had a, a, a resurgence. It's, it's modified a great bit. But with the way tablets and iPod touches and smartphones and, again, the home theaters are going... Mm-hmm. It is now going back to that solitary, or not back, but it is it is adapting to a more solitary model, where where the the smartphone with your movie that you can stream Netflix on via Wi-Fi is the Nickelodeon of the early 20th century. Mm-hmm. So this this pose, this is I, I find it just a very interesting mirror of what happened almost 100 years ago.
0: Oh no, absolutely. I do, however, think there is something to be said for the communal theater going experience in in several regards i mean one being able to see and experience something with a group of people i think is different than experiencing it solo just regardless of what it is.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: also for a lot of a lot of the stuff that you know we like to go to like star wars and uh, the superhero films you know not only are you just sitting in the theater with these people you go in line you line up ahead of time with these people you know you get to talking with them and, and, and interacting with them on a level that i think you obviously don't get in individually you know i mean
1: that's absolutely if, true if you look, yeah. at, the, look well, at the original, I don't, I don't look at the original star
0: wars you know you get the lines going you know wrapping round theaters
1: star wars uh line parties um harry potter line parties back when harry potter movies were coming out pretty much every year those are some of i mean my best experiences i i remember always having a group of friends that i would go to um and i didn't even like harry potter all that much but we'd go we'd go hang out everybody would bring a card game we'd stand in line half of us were dressed up Uh, We talk about other things on, you know, talk about the book, compare it to what we thought we were going to see in the theater. We make new friends. I mean, because you're making new friends with all the people around you who are equal fans, right? Yeah, there's, there's something absolutely magical if you'll pardon that um reference about hanging out with people that have the same fandom as you do and that's not something that you're going to get unfortunately in your home theater
0: so had, at this least is not the, to the, the same first extent. the first time i had red bull was in line for for episode three That <laughs> well, was, was a life-changing experience <laughs> it was a bad idea but it was a re- it was right. still life changing
2: like it changed my life not for the better <laughs> right but 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 you know i but it is but, but it, it was it definitely changed i don't think uh what either of you said is is in any doubt right i don't and i don't i don't there's i don't think there's any way to contradict it at this point however the scale has changed absolutely so all this all the stuff we're talking about think of how we've we, you you've couched um your your last your last comments it's these kind of special occasions—Harry Potter, okay. Star Wars, Marvel, right? You weren't doing that for Sicario. You weren't doing it for Nice Guys. You weren't doing it for Room. You weren't no. doing it for Manchester by the Sea or Edge of Seventeen. You know, or all these other movies that when I go to see them, there's seven of us in the theater.
0: Yeah. Right. Yeah. There
2: are seven of us in that theater, and so for special occasions, for episode, for the next Star Wars film, I absolutely agree with you. It'll you know, be lines and it'll be fun because when I saw Force Awakens I got the big push cushy seats and I pushed a button and it was like
0: ooh
2: kicked my <laughs> legs out and everything right I, that was absolutely because if this is a special occasion you want it, you want to be taken care of yeah. but but what, this has also changed movies you know the, the theater experience is different than then the movies that are produced are going to be different because the, the studios are also going to want a big bang for their buck because as we know even though we we set records every year at the box office, we also know that ticket sales are precipitously declining. The R squared value of ticket sales have just been dropping nonstop. We we know this. We we can see it. So a movie like a Sicario or a, or a A Nice Guys or Nine Cloverfield Lane, if that were made in the late '90s, these would be fairly substantial hits that would have made their money back for their theater and been widely recognized as as quality films. But the 90s model, as we've pointed out, of going to theaters to see these movies because you can't see them anywhere else in a format unlike anything, that's over with. So a a movie like Trumbo, it it just gets lost in the mix. Nowadays, it's it's horror films because the return on investment is very easy. Mm -hmm. Comedies, for the same reason. Or Disney trying to make a billion dollars off a movie. The middle ground is so sparse that now you just kind of put them out because that's what we do. But if you look at a movie like Beasts, Beasts of No Nation, which didn't get much recognition because it came out on a streaming service, I'm, I would venture to say that movies like that, Beasts of No Nation, Sicario, Hell or High Water, all quality films... Their their new home is the home entertainment system, is that Edison model.
1: I would have to say that I agree with you, but my personal experience says that the reason for this is at least partially because although big cushy seats are becoming the norm, uh, a full bar is becoming the norm at these theaters... They're not paying attention to the little things. The last two times I've been to the theater um here in Georgetown in d c. the theater has the the lighting behind this or behind the projector has been so dim I can barely see the movie. The sound is terrible. And this is in. We go and see the IMAX. We go and see, with the Dolby surround sound, like the full theater, is, the theater itself is supposed to rumble when, you know, big heavy bass comes through. And it, it doesn't. I mean, and just the, the experience of sitting in the theater, the base thing that I came to do which was to watch this movie is just so poorly put together. It, it's really frustrating. And I often find that to be the case. It's the little things that seem to be sort of slipping. And to be honest, I don't care if my seat folds down as long as I get to watch a really cool movie and it looks good. So maybe, maybe that's a part of it. The other point being that there are so many movies coming out, it's really hard to tell unless they're part of a franchise that I know I already like. It's really hard to, for an average moviegoer, I think, to figure out what's going to be good and what's worth their money.
0: Yeah,
2: I, I agree. Uh, go ahead,
0: Andrew. No, and I was gonna dark. say. I mean, when you're talking about you know the little things and whatnot, I agree with that in terms of if the theater's not doing those kinds of things, then yeah, I'm gonna have issues. However, I think you know some of the improvements that they've made have made me want to go see more movies because I'm enjoying the the experience that much more. You know, when it's a crappy experience, I'm going okay. I really have to want to see this movie in order to sit in this broken chair, and you know, the kid next to me is going to be screaming the whole goddamn time. Like, whereas now, if they're as they're improving the quality of my experience, I'm going. Yeah, okay, I'll. I'm willing to go to go more often. I mean, you know, I'm still not going like as often as, as Dude is or when it, or anything, but I'm going more. I think than i than I had for a few years.
2: I can understand that, but I I also think. Tracy brought up a really interesting point of do you want to take chances, even if the experience is nice, do you want to take chances dropping $15 per person plus whatever the food and drinks, depending on what niceties the theater gives you, uh, to go see a movie you don't know much about, right? That's the thing. So my I've had conversations with other friends about the death of the R-rated action film. Uh, no one really wants to drop $15 on seeing the mechanic resurrection or whatever the hell that was last year, right? Or the next. No, no one wants to see. J- Jamie Foxx has got a movie out uh, this weekend or in a couple of weeks. It's basically his version of Taken. Do we really want to spend $15 to see Jamie Foxx do his best Liam Neeson impression? That, you know, I think for the most part, even if you want to go to the movie theaters more often, as with Andrew said, Tracy's point, I still think holds firm that you kind of don't want to take that many chances because... The three of us can afford it, but but there are people who cannot drop $15, $14 per ticket to see your average movie in a theater, much less whatever IMAX 3D surround sound nonsense costs. I mean, I had to see Rogue One in 3D just because the others were sold out, and it was $32 for two of us.
0: Oh, no, absolutely, and I agree. I'm just saying, you know, before unless it was one of those special occasion kind of movies that you right. have to see in theaters i was kind of eh, on the fence over it whereas sure now now i've i've because of the the experience has gotten better so yeah i'm not i'm still not going a ton but i'm mm-hmm. i'm some of those movies that i was like i was on the fence about i would go to so so they're gaining a little bit of ground i think I, no, I, I think you're, I think Tracy's point is absolutely on in that, you know, for the most part, people aren't going to go see it. But I think if the experience is better, they're going to at least gain a little bit of lost ground on that.
2: Sure, I think a little bit. But I'm almost – I'm very comfortable in saying that it probably won't be what it was like in the late 90s, for example, right? But but
0: not. But I think yeah. the, your
2: point your point's well taken. What I found interesting with Tracy's point was stop going to that fucking theater, Tracy. Cause oh, I God, know. Like, just We're, don't, don't go yeah. – to that one (laughs) like i've got a couple in san diego i like to go to and if there's like a really crap one just stop going to that she's like i don't know like i saw the movie and it was dim and it was just stop going there so so hang on well it's happened twice so the
1: first time could have been a fluke the second time was not
0: all right dude so since you have been to the most uh insane of the theaters uh, among us i I want to hear some of your i I want you to share some of your theater honor or horror stories because there's a couple of them you're you're Proud you sat through.
2: Well, you're going to have to remind me because I'm thinking of one where I, when Alien, the Alien Director's Cut was released in theaters 10 years ago or something like that, maybe more. And I went to the theater in Mountainside, New Jersey, with a friend of mine to see it. There was It was a big theater. There was five of us in there. And two of them were these two women who could not shut the hell up. They, just, they, they did not stop talking. They just talked. Like a full, I don't know what they were saying. I don't know if they were talking to each other. They were just saying this. I felt like with one particular woman who was just talking during the film. Like, she just kept going... And eventually, uh, I
0: threw a water bottle at them.
2: That that was one.
0: <laughs> no, threw I was thinking bottle. of there was the theater in Manhattan you thought was a hot dog stand.
2: Yeah, or a pizzeria. The, the, the yeah. Two Boots Pioneer Theater, where they showed a movie called Chaos, which was supposed to be the, ne- the, the, the uh, next one to carry the mantle of Last House on the Left. And so it was like a little pizzeria. And then you they had a couple theaters in the back, small ones, but still fairly good quality ones. And they gave me a barf bag because this movie is supposed to be so horrible and you know, gross and, and violent and gory. And I remember this very carefully because we're all watching it. And then the last 15 minutes of the movie are so ridiculous. The audience is uncontrollably laughing at the film. Like at it. Like when, when stuff is happening, they are laughing at it. Every time some character, like, you know, d- does something, it's so cliched and so bad, people are losing their mind watching this film. That happened twice. That happened two times. One for that movie, Chaos, and then some other. There was a, a horror movie anthology that would, would, that when I was in college, 2005, 2006, they were releasing these horror movies o- over the week of Halloween, and they were so bad. And the, I remember one of them in particular was a ghost story, and again, the last 15 minutes, the audience was just laughing at the movie. It was directly at the movie; they were laughing at it. And I remember, I remember that one quite clearly. The other, I remember, my, the film forum on Houston Street, they were showing Once Upon a Time in the West, and the projector broke, and the screen turned white. <laughs> that was that was interesting.
0: The other one I was thinking uh, of is it was another western you went to go see, and they lost a reel.
2: Oh shoot, I can't remember the details of that, but I do remember that happening. I remember like full... it was it was some yeah. some
0: double feature and the first film they they misplaced a reel. And so yeah. you had like a like you had like the it was supposed to be like a 15 minute intermission that turned into like almost an hour.
2: Oh, I wish I remember the details to this, but but yeah, that was that was also quite interesting yeah the fil- film film when they were doing the old movies that's when when stuff tended to break and i remember once upon a time in the west it was that great climactic scene between charles bronson and henry fond at the very end and it was you know i mean it's 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 a work of art the way leone staged it with the camera and the music and the actors and then just boom it's white and you hear the music playing and it's just it's just a white screen <laughs> And the guy's, yeah, the guy's, there's some guy yelling like, like it happened before. Hey, projection! <laughs> like, yo! Projection! Like, wait, trying to wake the guy up. It was, that was, I mean, I've, those are the ones I can think
0: of. I've had some, I remember, I've, I've had some fun ones. I mean, I do
2: remember, well, I'll say this, I do remember the re- le- last year there was a fight that broke out when I went to go see Green Inferno, that craptastic Eli Roth movie. And I, I, I'll give the guys credit for taking the fight outside. That's
0: you good. Know, the movie hadn't
2: even started yet. They were arguing with each other, and then they all went outside. And I was like, you know what? Good,
0: good for them. <laughs> That's considerate. Nice. You and I had a good time once going to see the General at the Narrow, and they had a live piano player for the silent film. That was nice. That was a and lot actually, of fun.
2: Just last year, they over at Balboa, they did the General, because they have what's called the Spreckles organ. It's like the largest outdoor organ in the world. So they played the general, and the guy was on the organ playing it. It was an outdoor. It was an outdoor thing. It was actually quite nice.
0: Nice. And then when I went, when we went to go see uh, Becky and I went to go see episode seven, we went to Cinebistro, which is one of the places with all the food and everything. And after I think it's eight o'clock, it's twenty one and over. Yes, get those kids the hell so out of there. Nice. Yes,
1: it is so nice. I and, miss Cinebistro like, so much. But like, but
0: some couple tried to walk in with an infant. <laughs> Why? And the bounce Stop it, of- Right, and the bouncer... So, like, Cinebistro, you have to go up this escalator to get there. And the bouncer's at the top of the escalator. And, like, we're we're sitting so we can actually see this guy. And the look on his face is, are you fucking kidding me? And, like, they walk up... To the, like, they start walking up, like, trying to walk past the guy. And he's like, no, 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 no. No. Just go. go. And then the crazy part was, 20 minutes later, they showed up again without the kid.
2: <laughs> they put it in the car. Like, right, it's not hot outside.
0: No, it's like it's like a week before Christmas and it's like eight degrees outside. What do they do with the kid? (laughs) You know that? Actually, I've had some fun at Cinebistro. That was also the one Ellen and I went to go see a movie. Might have been Avengers. And they had a bunch of new wait staff. And twice the waiter started pulling all the glasses off of one side of the tray and tipped the tray and dumped it on someone. Like a tray full of like a tray full of beer.
2: Someone's gotta learn about the center of gravity. Yep. The hard way.
0: Yeah. So for a couple of 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 return trips there, I was like super paranoid. Just like every time somebody like a server walked in the room, I was like whipping my head around looking for like where are they? Where are they? What are they holding? I was just like. Like the first time I went with Becky, I was doing it and she's like, what are you doing? And I'm like, oh, I need to explain this one. I need to explain this story because <laughs> mm-hmm. I look like I look like I'm insane, but there's an actual reason. I'm not just dis- <laughs> I'm not paranoid for no reason. I saw a dude wear like three pitchers of beer here.
1: <laughs> that poor guy.
0: Yeah. Ne- needless to say. Uh, and actually, that was also where I had the fire alarm go off on me. Five minutes into Guardian yes. of the Galaxy, fire alarm went yes. off. Yes.
1: I remember oh, that text from you.
0: I mean, I really like so the theater. I'm standing I really outside like the- now. Yeah. Like, I really <laughs> like the theater. But now that I'm looking back at it, like, crazy shit's happened there. All right, guys, so I think that's probably about it. So, uh, dude, what have you been into?
2: Uh, more Warhammer. <laughs> like, <laughs> a lot of Warhammer.
0: <laughs> wow. I
2: did I, – I I watched a little bit of that show Fargo. Oh, I'll tell you this. All right, so this did have oh, me wrapped oh, up for a little while. Oh, Lord. A while. When, when you get started so,
0: like this, it's going to be good. So
2: every now and again, Donnell puts on, like, reality shows to do something, right? So I'm playing Warhammer still, and I did pick up a book, though. I did, Oh yeah. Um. But I, I, did. I got a new Orwell biography, which I'm, I'm kind of excited about. It was hard to find. But I'm playing Warhammer, and she will put on like reality shows, and sometimes they're kind of dumb, like uh, Sister Wives or something stupid like that. And I don't. But she put on a show called My Six Hundred Pound Life.
1: Uh, oh, I've heard of this. I've never and, seen it though.
2: And I will tell you this much: I watched. Uh, and I, I was the episodes I saw were from season three. Um, this is a fairly compelling reality show that I actually learned crap from. Like i I felt informed and educated in watching these people who are over six hundred pounds and and you learn what goes into making a human being six hundred pounds and then what they need to do to not be six hundred pounds anymore. And what i what I, one of the things I found fascinating was, almost in season three almost all of the subjects of because each episode is about a person and they're all patients of this one particular doctor uh they call doctor now he has a iranian last name so we just they all call him doctor now and what i well, the two things i learned is that especially the majority of them were women all except like two of them that i saw were women and there was a serious mental health issue at the base of all of this that they had either been abused or they had been traumatized and that food was their comfort the way they dealt with dealing with that trauma and then when they when they put them on like a $1000 uh, 1000 calorie diet and they couldn't eat the way they did it brought up all the crap that the food was literally and figuratively packing down wow and almost all of them had to go to therapy to talk about what was causing this because when they stopped eating the 10,000 calories a day that they were, were eating a thousand, they couldn't do the eating for their their comfort, their their coping mechanism it changed. Their, mm-hmm. They needed a new coping mechanism. The second thing was the enablers that their families were, yeah, and and that the families were were just piling on the pounds for them, but they were able to eat the same junk food but stop. And the person with the mental health issue was just stuffing their face. And what they had to learn was that when you live with a 600-pound person and they're on a 1,000-calorie diet and there's things they can't eat, that crap can't be in the house anymore. Right. Mm-hmm. Period. So everyone had to basically change their – everyone in the house had to change their lifestyle. I found that incredibly enlightening for a TLC reality TV show. I mean, I'll be honest. Because all... at times I'm I'm playing Warhammer and I hear something in the room and I go, I got to see what the hell this is. Hold on.
0: So, yeah, I'll be—I'll be honest I though. I mean, you know, anytime I'm trying to improve or not eat something or whatnot, like I—I I have to take it out of the house. Mm-hmm. Like, because if it's in the house, even like you know, I mean, be something Becky has, or like even when you know, when you and I were living together, you know, when you were killing two bags of Doritos in a night, and I was trying to like not do that—that—that—that right. that, that, that was difficult.
2: No, it's, yeah, it's, which, it's, is, it's, which it's, is which it's is, is why sometimes
0: you had bags of Doritos go missing. <laughs>
2: This it. It, what I found interesting was discipline is still part of it, but it's a different discipline. It's not just, mm-hmm. oh, now stop eating. No, you have to do all this other stuff first and do it in a disciplined manner, and then you can not eat or eat yeah. disciplined. So I yeah. I did find that really, really fascinating. I found that incredibly enlightening. And also I was watching a little bit of Sailor Moon and a lot of Warhammer. A nice. lot, a lot of Warhammer. And I got the new Orwell biography, and I've been wanting this one for a while, and it's it looks really good, so... That's that's basically it. crazy nice, Oh yeah, and I went to I went to Sea World and it was funny. We were on the Manta roller coaster and it was, they did not pull any punches. They were like, it's not even that intense of roller coaster. Like, you should not ride this ride if you have high blood pressure, recently had surgery, are pregnant, have prosthetic legs, or are fat. Like they just said fat. Like don't go on this ride if you're fat. And when we were on lawn, like when we're they were buckling people in there was a lady who just didn't fit in the seat. Like they couldn't lie. And they were like, ma'am, you need to leave. It was like, did you not hear the announcement? If you're fat, don't go on this ride.
0: So, so, so I wow. had that, I had that problem, but not because I'm fat, because I'm too tall. Oddly enough. What is it? so Oddly it? Oddly enough, was, right? It was, it was, no, it was at Bush Gardens, and
2: oh, it was one of those the shoulder thing, right? They yeah. couldn't get the shoulder thing. Yeah. On, so, yeah. So, so
0: my sister and I had to wait for the next car because there's like special seats that are like three inches bigger. Mm-hmm. Huh. I mean, you know, I'm well, sure I'm cool. sure I'm sure if I put on a, just just a little bit more weight, I'd probably have you know the fat problem, but. <laughs> So Tracy, what do you want to do?
1: So yesterday, Kurt and I had an appointment that got canceled because of the snow. So instead, I I think I've talked about thrift books on here before, yeah. and I swear to God they don't pay me for this. But you can get fantastic. So they buy books in bulk from Goodwill and other thrift store type places, and so and then they categorize them and catalog them, and then you can buy them from their website. If you spend more than ten bucks, you get free shipping, and it's like it's on average about dollars a book so including hardcovers. so i kind of i had a five dollar coupon the other day and so i sort of went on a spree and i ended up spending like 40 bucks and getting like 12 books which are coming in 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 packages little by little because they're coming from different warehouses in the country
0: and it's like it's like a drug dealer they're just stringing you along little by little
1: it is it is oh my god you're not kidding and it's so bad for me and you know Andrew, when you started, when you made the decision to go to digital comics, I'm about to have to do that for books because this, they're killing me. They're, they're strangling me. So, but I had it's gotten up. Hoarding a, a if you
2: have bookshelves. It's, <laughs>
0: it's not, not what? If, It's not hoarding if you don't have bookshelves as long as it's still not, books. Yeah, it's not hoarding as so long as you have bookshelves. <laughs> Just build, unless books. you're
2: unless you're Christopher Hitchens because you ever watch his Reddit Ask Me Anything video? Like, look in the background. He has stacks of books like the beginning of Ghostbusters. It's really... <laughs>
1: that's gonna be me pretty soon most of my shelves are double stacked and there are starting to be piles on top well so see, he should have made um, he
0: should have made a fort
1: <laughs> yeah no, and then it's useful Espe- it's especially useful.
0: especially for hitchens
1: yes <laughs> especially so I had g- just received a package of books, and then, of course, we got snowed in, so I ended up reading Lud in the Mist by Hope Merlees, which is a bit of a classic fantasy book. Um, I-, I have to say I do recommend it because the vocabulary is fantastic and the style of writing is great. The story's a little slow, but, you know, I, I read it in a day, so it can't be that big of a deal. And then I ha- also have Lord of Light, which is a classic science fiction book, and I cannot remember the author off the top of my head but it's basically about a science fiction buddha that people pray to using electronic emails
0: so uh, but this was
1: written before emails were a thing
0: interestingly enough i was actually looking into that one because lord of light is the movie so if you guys remember the ben affleck movie argo yes the 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 cover movie that they were making originally they, when when this really happened Lord of Light the movie for Lord of Light was the cover
1: oh cool now that's an interesting piece from a
0: different a different attempt to make Lord of Light there are a number of Jack Kirby concept art pieces
1: oh that's cool yeah I will have to look that up after I finish this book so I just I just started it so I'm not even a full chapter in so I started that today and then I also have been watching or re-watching The IT Crowd have you guys watched that? yes
2: I know of it yeah
1: it's the British uh, basically a British sitcom about um, about tech guys uh, about I- an IT department in a large company. It's it's hilarious. Um, I find it to be fairly funny. Kurt thinks it is hilarious. I think he's almost died laughing several times.
0: No, I mean there's some there's some good like really really good uh, episodes that Chris Chris, Chris and Jessa really love that show actually.
1: It, it is a lot of fun. I like the one where she wins employee of the month. I think this is like season three. Uh, Jen wins employee of the month and so the guy's trick her into taking the internet yes. oh to show God, off for the speech. I think that's the best that's the best episode in the whole thing.
0: Yeah, so, like they they, yeah. they give her this little box with a light on the top and they convince her it's the internet. And then she <laughs> and then she gives this speech about it to people who have no idea what the internet is. So they all believe her. <laughs> And, then at, and it's like the
1: shareholders.
0: Yeah. So, like, the two IT guys are, like, watching, and, like, they think this is going to be this great practical joke, and nothing, and, like, it goes well for her, and they're all pissed off. And at the very end, this guy comes crashing through a wall and smashes the box so that everyone now thinks the internet has, has been destroyed and starts losing their minds. <laughs> And so the it the it guys are just in back like just giggling to themselves.
1: They're super happy that at least something funny happened. Oh my gosh, such yeah. a, it is a funny show. So anyway, so what about you, Andrew?
0: Uh, so we are also snowed in. So I have, I mean, getting a few things done around the house. Uh, Becky and I have also been binge watching Clone Wars because we got in the mood to nice. do that. And that's a that's a really fun show. Uh, I was playing some more Empire Total War. I decided to do like a a British campaign and just go as aggressive as possible. Take and out
2: France first.
0: Spain. I took out Spain oh, okay. first. I had taken out Spain by like 1730. <laughs> yeah, it was it that that's been an interesting one. I've been in. I was at war with all kinds of random people, and it was like, all right, fuck it. I'm gonna I'm just gonna deal with this. Uh, and then uh, earlier tonight, Becky had me uh, made me watch. I uh, made me. I was fine with it, but. Uh, we watched uh, Waking Sleeping Beauty, which is basically about the Disney renaissance from like the animation renaissance from like 1984 to 1994. Mm-hmm. And that was actually really interesting because you're seeing all of the behind the scenes stuff, you know, behind a lot of the movies that, you know, we think of, especially from our childhood Little Mermaid, Lion King, Aladdin, all uh, Beauty and the Beast, all those movies, and just like the politics behind it. And there were a couple of people in there um, Michael Eisner and. Jeffrey Katzenberg, and, I mean, both of them did very good things at Disney. I can't actually, like, think of either of these people as, like, actually being good people, though. <laughs> like, you just you just hear the interviews with them, and you're like, I appreciate what you did for Disney, but you're both, like, terrible human beings.
2: <laughs> yeah, it's like, I don't want to be near you. Just... <laughs> Also Make like movies over there
0: by the time they got <laughs> by the time they said that they got to Lion King, you know, when they've been doing this, you know, seven, seven, eight, nine year blitz of animation, mm-hmm. like just hearing about like hearing the things the animators kind of were complaining about. Like they were at the, they were at a point where because they were they had been doing it so much and so long they were becoming physically like disabled <laughs> like they couldn't like one of the one of the guys saying he couldn't hold a coffee cup without shaking because of because of how bad his carpal tunnel was wow yeah i mean it was like just you know they couldn't have families because they were at work for 90 hours a week
1: oh my god
0: yeah it was That's impressive yeah so like as much as that you know you, I, you know you love those films from when we were kids it's like huh okay this kind of came at a cost <laughs> yeah i bet so all right folks if you like what we do make sure you head on over to therefore our geek.com check out our blog posts and our podcasts You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And you can find this podcast and other podcasts like it on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and YouTube. So once again, I'm Andrew. I'm Tracy. I am the Duder. And you've been listening to Therefore I Geek.